Hi there, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast. I'm continuing on with this subject, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And I did an overview last time. This time I want to look at the first of the fruits of the Spirit, which is love. Now, the aim of this session today is to try and understand what the love of God is and what it means for us. We're being called as Christians to enter into his love in Jesus Christ. And so we must know what it is and how it works. Now, there are three Greek words translated into English as love, but they all have quite different and distinct meanings. The first of those is eros, which is the word for uh, erotic or sexual love. The second word translated into English is philo, which is the love that we see in things like brotherly affection. And the third word is agape, and this is the love of God. This is the, the one that's used most commonly when they're talking about God's love, agape. And it's this that we have to understand. So the objectives of this session today are to, firstly, try and gain an insight into God's agape love. Secondly, to see what the aspects of his love are. And thirdly, to learn how to grow and how to walk in the love of God. Now, the first scripture I want to look at is probably the most commonly known scripture in the Bible. It's John chapter 3, verse 16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the greatest single expression of God's love for us, in that he gave his Son, Jesus, to die so that we might live. Now, there is no greater love, no other love that anyone could have for another person than to die in their place for them. And this is what Jesus did for us. He died so that we could receive salvation and eternal life. This is, this is just the ultimate expression of love. Now, what we have to do is to understand how that works and why he did this and, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot in that, but I'm just looking at the aspect of love today. So the next scripture I want to have a look at is in Matthew uh, chapter 5, and I'm reading from verses 43 down to 48. And it says this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this is quite a, an interesting piece of scripture here because we see a few things in it. Firstly, we see in that last verse, it says you must be perfect. You must be perfect. It's not, it'd be good if you could be perfect. He's saying you must be perfect, but in what way? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, God is the ultimate expression of love. So what we see in this is that perfection is defined in God's love. So if we are to be perfect, we must be perfect in love as God was perfect in love, or is perfect in love. Now here, we're also told to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Now, I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard to love and pray for someone who hates your guts. It's just not, it's not part of what humans are, uh, are designed like, at least not until they come into the love of God. But we're told here that we have to love our enemies because God loves everyone. God loves even 
his enemies. And as it says, he sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. He doesn't just do good things for those who are just and those who are righteous and those who are his followers, but everyone gets rain, everyone gets water, everyone gets the things that God provides. He offers all of these things and he gives all of these things to everyone on, on the planet. And this is showing the agape love uh, of God. And, and this is what we need to do. We need to also show them this agape love. Now, as I mentioned before, the three words in Greek that are translated to love are eros, which is uh, sexual love, and that's the love between a, a man and a woman when they get married and have children and so on and so forth. The second love was philo, which is about feelings. It's about affection, um, brotherly affection, brotherly love, and things like that. Friendship. Uh, would come under the philo love. Now, those two things are not the two things that you would think about in relation to an enemy. You know, when he says love your enemies, you have to love your enemies. You don't think about being friends with them. But you don't have to be friends with someone. You don't have to treat them like brothers with someone who is your enemy or who is who, who hates you. But just as God sent his reign for both the just and the unjust, he gives good and does good to everyone. And this is what he's telling us to do. We can still be good because he says to love your enemies. He says to pray for those who persecute you. Now, if your enemy is someone who is persecuting you and giving you a hard time, if they're attacking you uh, one way or another, whether it be physically or spiritually or emotionally or verbally, whatever, we can still pray for them. We can still not do evil back to them. We don't fight them back. We can still uh, do good. If, if they happen to be in trouble, we can still offer a helping hand without having to be their friend. And this is what God does. This is what the agape love is about. It's about doing the right thing by everyone while it's in your power or when it's in your power to do so. And so in the same way, we don't have to be friends and show the philo love, but we can do good and do what is right, even praying for them, because this is the love of God in action. And we are called to be perfect like God is perfect. And that means we must show perfect love towards all mankind. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter whether they're friends or enemies or whatever. We need to show that same level of love as we would give to, uh, to anyone else. The third scripture I want to look at, we look now at what it means to be walking in love. And I'm looking at Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at the whole chapter, starting with verse 1. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. We all, at some point in time, we meet up with other Christians, uh, other people from other churches, other beliefs and so on. But they are our brothers because they are members of Christ's body in, in a broad sense. And although they may not know things that we know, they may not understand as we understand, which is like this person who is weak in faith, that it says, don't fight with them, don't argue with them, welcome them, because these are your brothers. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So welcome. And he goes on, he talks about some examples in verse 2 in Romans 14. He says, one believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. I know of some groups within the, uh, the broad Christian church who preach a doctrine of uh, being vegetarians. They won't eat meat, and they do it for any number of reasons. But 
when we come together, I should not then stand in front of them and eat a ham sandwich or have a, uh, a meat pie or eat a piece of steak or something like that because that is offensive to them. So for me to be walking in love, and this is about doing what's right in their eyes, this is God's agape love, for me to do what's right to them, I shouldn't do those things. And I shouldn't uh, do anything that's going to upset them. There are Christians who will not drink alcohol, and they believe it's wrong to drink alcohol. Now, I don't drink alcohol anyway, but if I did, then it wouldn't be right for me to sit down in front of one of these people who don't drink alcohol uh, with a glass of beer. Now, as I said, I don't drink alcohol myself, uh, but that's, that's a personal decision. It's not a religious decision. It's a personal decision because I believe that it's important to remain in full control of your wits at all time. That's what I believe. And alcohol, as you know, I'm sure everyone knows, uh, can take control of you and it causes people to do all kinds of things that they wouldn't do if they remained sober. So I choose not to drink alcohol, not for religious reasons, but because it's my personal choice not to. But if I did drink, then it wouldn't be right for me to sit down and have a beer in front of someone who found it religiously offensive even though it's not wrong in the scripture to have a drink, to have wine or whatever. It's not, um, it's not wrong. And Paul even um, spoke to Timothy, wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, you should drink some wine for the sake of your stomach and your many ailments. So he told him, look, it's okay to drink a bit of wine. It would probably help him with the particular ailments that he had. So if we're going to show the love of God towards others, we have to make sure that we don't do something that's going to upset them. Because if we do, then we're no longer walking in love. I'll continue reading Romans 14 from verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the master is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord. He also who eats eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Now what we see in these few verses is that everyone needs to be fully convinced in their own mind that what they are doing is right in the sight of God, and God will accept them where they are. They may be doing the wrong thing, but he will accept them where they are. So it's very important that we have our own mind, that we, we know in our own mind what is right, and we don't do what's opposite to other people. We don't put them out. We don't say something that's going to upset their faith. And that's the last thing that I want to do. Anyway, reading on uh, from verse 7, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each of us shall give account of himself to God. Then let us no more 
pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of the brother. Now that verse encapsulates pretty much in a nutshell what walking in love is all about. When we are walking in love, we will not put a hindrance or a stumbling block or anything in the way of someone who is our brother in Christ, brother or sister in Christ, but we will try to help them to grow and to mature and to see. In verse 14, Paul writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. And so, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. And that's the important thing. Any of the doctrines that you hear where they talk about you shouldn't eat certain food, you shouldn't drink certain drinks, and that you shouldn't do some of these things are not what's important. What's important is seeking righteousness, seeking peace, seeking the teachings of the Lord that will lead to eternal life. And all of these things like food and drink are only things to do with the body. And that's not important. It's the spirit that's important. That's what we're looking for. The teachings that lead to the spirit and lead to life. I'm reading now in verse 19. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make others fall by what he eats. And that was my point before about I won't go and eat a meat pie in front of a vegetarian. Uh, who is a brother. And things like um, where they say, well, you can't eat meat on Good Friday. Well, I know that that's a load of rubbish. I know that. But someone else who doesn't have the understanding, the insight that the Lord has given me may not know it. And so it would not be appropriate for me to go and sit down to lunch with them on Good Friday and eat a meat pie. I won't do that. To do the opposite, for me to sit down and eat a meat pie while someone is uh, believing that uh, it's it's not right to eat meat on Good Friday, then I'm walking out of love. It's not their problem, it's my problem. And the Lord will will uh, judge me for that because I'm doing the wrong thing, because I'm upsetting his faith. Anyway, I'll continue on. It's right not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Happy is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. But he who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that's the important thing. So we're trying to learn how to walk in love. And to learn how to walk in love, we're talking about this agape love of God, um, which is the love of God. And this is what this is all about. We don't do anything that's going to cause anyone to stumble. You don't have to be their friend. You don't have to be their enemy. You shouldn't be anyone's enemy, but you don't have to be their friend. You just treat them as you would like to be treated. And this is, this is the essence of what God's love is. The next scripture I want to have a look at is over in um, the book of John, chapter 15. And I'm reading from verse 10, and it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. 
you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, to love one another. That's the key point here. The only commandment that Jesus ever gave to his followers was that they should love one another as he loved us. Now, when we look at that word in Greek that's translated as love, it is again this agape word. And this is the only commandment. He said, treat people as you would wish to be treated. Treat people um, with respect and dignity and honour and so on and so forth. And you can do this to everyone, uh, but especially to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This was the only commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, and obviously through them he gave it to us as well, is that we love one another. No greater love can anyone show than to lay down their life for their friends or for others. And when we put the needs of others first, and that's the important thing here, when we put their needs and their feelings and so on ahead of our own, then we are laying down our life for the sake of the Lord. Then we are doing what this commandment is, this commandment to love one another. I'll go over into the next scripture, which is now over in Romans chapter 5, and I'm reading from verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. You may have noticed there, he goes through a process and he says that we should rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that as we suffer, suffering produces endurance. That's the first part of the process. The next part is endurance then produces character and it goes on and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So here we have a process that starts with suffering, goes through the building of character and endurance and hope and so on and so forth until we get to the place of where God's love is poured into our hearts. And God's love is in us because when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we receive his love. His Holy Spirit to us is firstly a gift of love, but then it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us about the love of God and how to live and how to walk in the love of God. And this is critical. We need to understand this and we need to be able to walk in the, in the Holy Spirit and then learn how to walk in love. Now, there is a process. This is not the only process uh, to come fully into the uh, love of God. There are other processes in the Bible. As part of this process, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the love of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. The Holy Spirit teaches us about the love of God because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ which is to be in the image of God's love and also brings us into that image of perfection that I spoke about before in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this work of transformation. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, For the love of Christ controls us because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
Now, as the Holy Spirit transforms us, and he does this work of transformation in us, and it's a long, slow process. He talks about this in another place as being from one degree of glory to another. So it's very tiny steps, baby steps, to actually come fully into the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. But that transformation process is slowly happening. And as we learn uh, this, this transformation, we exhibit the love of Christ because... As it says in that scripture, the love of Christ controls us. Now, the love of Christ, it drives our decisions when it's, when it's in us. It drives our decisions and our actions. And so we are controlled by the love of Christ. Now, we're not controlled like, like a, an automaton or a slave or something like that. We're controlled in the, in the sense that because his love is what drives our decisions, rather than the passions of human nature, we are then being controlled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us because when we don't have the love of Christ, it's our human nature that controls us, our passions, our desires. But when the love of Christ is in us, when the love of God is in us, it's that that we use to make our decisions. So our decisions are based on God's love and not on our human passions, desires, lusts and so on. The last scripture I want to look at in this, um, in this particular session today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And many people know this as the love chapter because it talks about basically love. This chapter is the definitive description of what agape love is really all about. And it shows us that God's love is about what we do, not how we feel. So I'm reading from verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So these two verses tell us how important it is to find and to hold on to and seek God's love. This is critical, because all these other things, gifts and prophecy and understanding and faith and all, are nothing in comparison to love. Verse 3, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, from verse 4, we begin to see what the attributes of this love, and this is the agape love, the agape love of God, what the attributes of this love are all about. And it says, verse 4, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, here are these, these descriptors of some of the things, some of the attributes of God's love. Because these are all agape love, these ones, which is God's love. And you can see all of these things. It says love is patient and kind, not jealous, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, doesn't insist on its own way, so therefore it's not selfish, not irritable, not resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. These are all things that we can do. These are not feelings. These are actions. These are things that we need to do. And these are the things that show the love of God, because these are the things we do when we are exhibiting God's love in our life. And it goes on. Love never ends in verse 8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. And what we see in these few verses is that the only thing that lasts forever is love. That's the only thing that is internal. It's love. He says our knowledge is imperfect, and we know that. You know, we, we don't know everything that Christ knows. Even though we're learning his, his uh, truths, and even though we're learning the things of Christ, we don't fully know everything as Christ knows them. We are still learning. We are still growing. Um, prophecy. Prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But he's saying that'll pass away. Well, prophecy talks about the future. It's the Lord's way of telling us what is to come. And it's the Lord's way of giving us an insight into what's happening. Because in truth, God wants his people to know what's happening. He wants them to know what it is he's doing. And he does this through prophecy. But this will pass away. Tongues will cease. You know, tongues, tongues are a very important part of the Christian ministry today and have been since, well, since Christ died, basically, and since the apostles first um, received the Holy Spirit with tongues at, uh, at Pentecost. A very critical part of the Christian uh, message and the Christian process. And unfortunately, most people in churches don't even know what, uh, what that purpose is. And I'm talking here also about those churches who have and have received the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. Many of them don't even know what tongues are for. And, uh, and it's quite an interesting thing. It's, it's a critical part of our ability to be able to walk in the Spirit and to learn how to walk in love. But this is going to pass away. Why? Because when the perfect comes, when we are perfected in love, then these things won't be necessary any anymore. They're only necessary now because we are imperfect. And as he says, now we see in a mirror dimly. What we're looking at in the scripture is just a dim reflection of the fullness of the truth. And he goes on, but then face to face, when the Lord returns and his kingdom is established and we are living in his kingdom, we will be able to go to Christ and speak to him face to face. We won't have these dim ideas and dim understandings. We'll be able to talk to him face to face. And the final verse in 1 Corinthians 13 says, So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that's the most important thing. Love is eternal, and it's the only thing that's eternal, because God, who is love, and it says in other scriptures, God is love, God is eternal, and so love is eternal. So, a couple of things to consider. Can you see that knowing God's love is about behaviours, it's about actions, and it's easier to love your enemies when you know that it's about how you behave, not about how you feel. And secondly, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life to make the changes that lead you to be able to live in the love of God? So just quickly, spend a moment in prayer to seek insight into the love of God. Ask the Lord to show you what you need to know to fully understand and fully comprehend God's love and have it manifest in your life. So that's it for me for this week. Our next podcast will continue on looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And the next one that I'm going to look at is the fruit that they call joy. So until then, I hope you'll join me again next week. And this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast signing off and wishing you a blessed week. Hey.